Lord, we are here because we want you to show us your way. Father God, it is the thought of our heart and the intention of our heart. Father, we don't come as people who know all things or people who are perfect in any ways. But we come to you as people seeking your way that we may learn from you how to live this life in such a way that it is pleasing to you and Father that, that it is abundant in us uh, show us indeed your way show us how to deal with one another show us how to deal with the world show us how to deal with all the grace that is given unto us Lord we just, we just want to praise you and honor you and glorify your holy name, Father. Put your Holy Spirit in me and in all of us that we may receive your word. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. We, uh, Diane, read today the gospel. The gospel about... A widow and the gospel about a dead son of this widow. But before we even enter into the story and ask God, Father, what is it you want us to learn from this event in the life of Jesus? I think we need uh, to begin with a full understanding of God's care and immense love for the widows and for the orphans and for the alien in our land and the, the love of God that he has toward all people who are in need, abused, downtrodden, stepped upon, lonely, broken. Before we even enter in the passage, we need to understand a God who cares for his people. And he not only cares for all his people, I think God has a special place in his heart for those who hurt. We find in the Bible many references to widows, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Most of the time those references are coming from a heart that is loving toward them from God. I want to share with you just four passages of Scripture to bring to you this idea of how God thinks of the widow and the orphan and the alien. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 22 of the book of Exodus, which is the book in which Israel received its covenant and received the law of how they ought to live, it says that the Lord said, You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child if you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. 
And my wrath will become hot, and I will kill you with a sword, and your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. In other words, as you do unto them, I will cause it to be done unto you. And then in the retelling of the law in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 10 verses 18 through 19, it says, He, God, administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And then the prophet Isaiah says, Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, and plead for the widows. And then again, Zechariah, the prophet, chapter 7, verses 8 through 10, it says, Then the, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother." These are just four of the passages I chose to share with you as to how God feels for those who can easily be abused in this world. Those that are in some state of weakness, in some state of lack of protection, in some state where they can easily be abused. The widow... The orphan, the alien, and this is not a political sermon at all, but we do need to understand that the alien can get abused and is abused on a constant basis, even in our land. Though we were all aliens at one time or another, and so were our ancestors. And there are times that situations in your life change to the point where you are weakened. It could be an illness. It could be suffering of any kind with a child. It could be a divorce that leaves you destroyed. It could be the death of a spouse and leaves you completely vulnerable to so many possibilities. In the Bible, there's a number of places where, where Jesus and God and, and Paul uh, would warn that there are occasionally in the church false teachers that take advantage of the widows. And I'm referring to First and Second Timothy. I'm referring to even things that Jesus said about the possible abuses of some on widows that are in need, that are broken, that are vulnerable to manipulation and to use. And the first thing we need to understand as we approach the Word of God today is that God has a heart for the suffering and the hurting 
endorsing the bottom of the, of the pile. In fact, people at times say to me, Father Jose, why did God choose the Jewish people? Why are they any special than the rest of the people in the land? Why are they the chosen people? Well, the fact is that when God brought Israel out of Egypt, they were at the bottom of the totten pole of society. They had nothing to offer God. They had no land. They had no army. They had nothing. They had no riches. They were totally slaves. And God chose from the bottom of the barrel to show what He can do if someone, a land, a people, a person is willing to trust Him. And the Israelites are called the chosen people. The Christians are called in Scripture the elect. It's the same thing. Elect or chosen. And when we humble ourselves before God, we become part of those chosen elect sons and daughters of the living God. And let me tell you, today things have changed. Today's widows have a lot of protection. I mean, widows today are totally different than widows and orphans. Uh, back in the days of Jesus. Today, widows have Social Security. And they may have, uh, after years of work, they may have a pension. And they may have this and they may have that. In the times of Jesus, there was no such thing. There was no welfare system. And there was no Social Security. And the situation was totally different. But I think we have people in need today... They may not be widows, but in my book, they fall into the same kind of categories. I'm thinking sometimes of people that I've met. I've, I've met widows that are truly in need. I've met people in convalescent homes that don't have anyone at all even to visit them. I have met widows even in our church where the children live all over the country and they get to see their mother or their father uh, only occasionally. I, I can mention some of you that will immediately say, oh yeah, I know her too. But you know, I also think of the single mothers and even the single fathers. I know a single father right now that his wife died of cancer just a few weeks ago. And she's left, he's left all alone to raise, I believe it's two or three little children. And he has no idea how to do it. He cries out in pain. He is in brokenness. And I've met wives, single mothers who have been abandoned by their husbands. And they're all alone pretty much trying to raise their little ones. And I've met some of these single parents in pain, and I can imagine the hidden pain on those children who may not be orphans by the term orphan, but in many ways they are somewhat orphaned by the situation. And I think if we were people that followed after the word of God, we need to have a heart toward those who hurt for whatever reason. In our congregations among the people that we know, we ought to look for those people who are the hurting. 
those suffering of illnesses, those being abandoned in life by so many different things. I think whatever your political views are, we need to consider that abuse of the alien, of the immigrant, is wrong in the eyes of God. I'm not advocating for immigration or against immigration. I have my personal views and I allow your personal views. But people to people, brother to brother, it is not godly that we abuse anyone in this country or in this world. Just simply because we're called to love our brother and our sister as ourselves, that alone should tell us that we should care as God cares for those who are vulnerable in life. So I want to begin there as we look at this passage in the full understanding of who God is and how much love God has for those that generally are the forgotten of society and the vulnerable of society. And because that is how God is, we can certainly see all through the Gospels that that is also the personality and the character of Jesus. Amen? That is how Jesus is. If you take a look at the people that Jesus encounters, how he deals with the widows, this particular widow of the story, how he deals with Martha and Mary when they have lost their brother, how he deals with the, the woman of Sidon who cries out, treat me or give me from like what the dogs receive, just please heal my daughter. How he deals with the Samaritan woman. How he deals with the leper. How he deals with the people that Jesus deals with. And you have to say that the character of God is the character of Jesus. It is evident in what we know about Jesus Christ. He lives out the word of God and the passion of, of God and the heart of God. And I think we as disciples of Jesus, we need to have the same attitude. If we truly are disciples of Jesus, we need to care for those who hurt, are alone, lonely, broken, in need, and vulnerable. The church ought to embrace people like that and give them a place of peace in their lives. Amen? You hear me, right? That's us, the church. Because that's how God is, and that's how Jesus is, so ought the church to be. Not the organization, not the building, but the Christian believers and followers of Jesus Christ. That's how our heart should be. Last week's gospel, it was read, but because Bishop Bill was here, we didn't preach, or I didn't preach in the, on the gospel... And he didn't preach on the gospel either. He did give us a, a, a wonderful, encouraging word. But he didn't deal with this. However, this gospel was read to you. And I hope you can remember some of it. But it is the story of Jesus being in Capernaum. And a centurion, a Roman centurion, has a servant whom he loves dearly. He really loves this person. And he sent some Jewish people, some Jewish leaders, to go find Jesus and bring him to his home 
so that Jesus could heal his servant. And, and I think there's three or four things that are very important. I'm not going to preach that sermon today. But there are three or four things very important about this, this lesson, which is the lesson just preceding this. One is the generosity of this centurion and the devotion toward the Jewish people and toward the God of the Jewish people because he so loves them that he builds a synagogue for them. Uh, the, the second thing that, that touched me very much about the story is the humility of the centurion. Humility because he sends these elders because he doesn't feel that he is worthy to come to where Jesus is and ask anything of Jesus. In fact, when Jesus says, okay, I will come, and he starts heading down, and he hears about it, he sends servants to tell Jesus, I'm unworthy that you be in my house. Just say the word, because I'm a man that understands authority. As a centurion, I tell my soldier, go, and he goes. And I tell my soldier, come, and he comes. So I understand authority. And you, Jesus, have the authority. And you can say, heal, and my servant would be healed. And I understand authority. And Jesus says, I have not found faith like this in all of Israel. So those three or four things we can learn from that passage. And let me say this to you. God responds to faith, not to fear. God responds to faith and not to fear. And, and it doesn't mean that we at times are not all afraid. Listen, I, I am afraid at times. But what I am not is defeated. I can be afraid because there are things in this life that fill me with horror. And fear is not the opposite of faith. Fear is kind of a natural instinct that we all at times will feel. But faith trumps fear. And God responds to faith and not to fear. Because faith, let me tell you, sometimes God will take you to the last moment. And when you are the most afraid, it's when He shows up to do what He's going to do. To the last moment and after the last moment, faith is what will make us conquerors over any situation. Even if we have to suffer through it, faith is stronger, more lasting, more powerful than fear. Fear doesn't last. It passes. Faith is forever. But one of the things that I want you to see is that in that passage about the centurion, Jesus heals a servant that is about to die. In this passage of the widow of Nain, he heals a man who's already dead. He heals him by bringing him back to life. You see that? And the two passages are one happened one day and the other one the next day. In the first one, Jesus heals someone who's about to die. In the next day, he heals someone who's already dead by bringing him back to life. In the Gospels, there are three, three resurrection stories 
besides the resurrection of Jesus. Resurrection of people. Two in this gospel, the gospel of Luke. One is this one here, the son of the widow of Nain. And the other one is the daughter of Jairus. And in Luke, of course, is the resurrection. And in John, of course, is the resurrection of Lazarus. Amen? But I want to tell you, all these resurrections of these individuals, they still have to die again. The only resurrection that is unto eternal life is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection that He offers to those who believe in Him. But those resurrections are very important to show that Jesus has the power over death and over life. So with that in mind, let's take a look at this story in the event of Jesus' life. First of all, Jesus makes his home and his home base, let's say, in Capernaum. You have a map here. You can see where Capernaum is. Capernaum is toward the, the northern side of the Lake of Galilee. And down below you can see the city of uh, Nain or Nain. Nain is, is, is the way I, I say it. And Jesus travels from Capernaum to this city of Nain, which is just a few miles south of Nazareth. Archaeologically, some tombs have been found just to the east of Nain in the rocks on the road from Nain to Capernaum. Jesus is being followed by his disciples and by a crowd of people who are coming with the Lord. As this group of people are traveling from Capernaum to Nain, as they get close to Nain, as they're about to enter through the gate of the city, this group of people, there is another multitude coming on the other direction. There is a group of people coming, and you almost can see this meeting at the gate of Nain between those with the power to, to give life and those that are coming submitted to the power of death. Because out of the city comes a group of people all mourning a young man who has died. And probably at the very front of the, of, of the procession is the mother, the widow. And she's, she's headed toward the tombs and she's headed to bury her only son. And she's weeping and she's broken. And she probably feels lost. As she heads to a place where she will put down her son and come home to an empty house. And maybe around her are some mourners. And some people who either are professional mourners that sometimes were hired. Or perhaps just people who, uh, who want to support her and encourage her. 
And behind this group, there is a, a group of people carrying a pallet or carrying perhaps the bed of the dead man, a buyer. It's not a coffin like we normally would see a coffin with the lid closed and all of that. Probably it's a pallet that, that is being carried by a few people and maybe there's a sheet over his head or, or perhaps he's wrapped in, in linen like what's the custom. And then a multitude of people behind this procession. And it's these two crowds that meet at that moment. These two crowds going one out of the city to bury and one coming into the city with the power to bring life. And they meet in the gate. They meet in the gate. Now, all funeral processions are sad things, aren't they? Listen, even, even when, when we follow in a car, it's just a sad thing. It's really a sad thing. When I've, I've done number, numerous uh, funerals, I don't even turn the radio on in the procession. I, I just, my heart sinks. My heart sinks over those who have just lost, lost the dear one. Whether I did the service or not, I, I'm there and, and there's sadness and, and there's like a somber quiet over this whole procession. Whether we're going to a cemetery that is close by or not. But in many parts of the country and in the times of Jesus, these processions, people walked. People walked and people carried the dead corpse with them. And I remember in Cuba where I was born. I remember even when I was little and, and my grandfather died. And I remember this long procession down the street. And people who didn't even know us in the sidewalks, they would just stop and just watch this thing go by. Some of them would do the sign of the cross. Some of them would pray. But it, it was just a moment as if time just froze. And this, this procession would just go down the street. And there's a sense of quiet, no conversations. So all funerals that I know are sad events. But I think there's nothing sadder than, than what we see here in this story. Sadder because this woman is a widow. She has no husband. And now she has lost her only son. And she's pretty much left alone in the world. And I think the likelihood of her survival many years is probably not very good. As it was in a very patriarchal society, she probably didn't have the educational level or the skills of a man. And her survival may have been in danger. And she may be actually heading into very perilous future for her. Maybe her life wouldn't last very long after this event. 
And one of the things that blesses me the most out of this story is that it says that Jesus came to this event and he had compassion. Man, that word in this passage is an amazing word. Compassion. If you notice when you read the passage, these people don't seem to know Jesus. There's no request from the mother. There is no cry if you had been here. There's no, there's no conversation at all. There is no expectation placed upon Jesus or any request of Jesus to do something about the situation. It's almost as if they didn't know each other. One group's coming in, one group's going out. Jesus doesn't even say to the mother, well, how much is your faith? There's no conversation. It just simply says that when Jesus came to that procession, he looked at the mother and he had compassion and said to her, don't weep. And then he stopped the procession by touching the bed or touching the buyer. And the whole thing stopped. And Jesus said, young man, I say to you, arise. And at that very moment, this young man took a breath and he got up in, in, in the bed and he was fully alive. In the story of the centurion, faith was the catalyst of the healing of the man. In this story, it's nothing that man does. It's the compassion of Jesus that brings about the resurrection of this young man. The compassion of Jesus. Now, when I look at that word compassion... You may look at that word and say, well, compassion means that he felt sorry for her. I think compassion is much bigger than feeling sorry. It actually, from a Latin way of looking at it, is compassion, which means with passion. It is a level of love that is not just feeling sorry for somebody. It is a level of love where your love for the person is so profound that you want to step in and do something about it. You want to feel with them. You want to embrace them. You want to just not feel sorry, but you want to love passionately this person who needs a touch at that moment. And it is compassion that seems to open the floodgates in what Jesus is about to do. He, he, his love for that woman was so immense, so passionate. That without even being asked, he just steps up and he says, Lady, don't weep. Young men, get up. No conversation. No expectation. No request. Jesus steps up because compassion moved him. And my question for you today is how compassionate are you with those who hurt. How compassionate are you? Do you have to be asked? 
before you act? You know, sometimes that happens to me. Sometimes I wait to be asked. Not Jesus. Do you have to be asked before you visit someone who just lost his job? Do you have to be asked or given information to visit someone in a hospital? Do you have to be asked when you see someone hurting and you just need to come along? The second question which is, is important too is when you are asked to do something that moves you out of your agenda out of your schedule when you're asked by someone to take him to a hospital and you have to do something else when you are asked does your stomach just churn inside of you and you feel abused you feel that someone is taking advantage of you do you feel obligated do you feel put in the spot Yes, it's happened to me. I'll be honest. I have my schedule. I have my day plan. And then someone comes and says, can you help me? And I go, oh, Lord, I have a sermon to prepare. I have a class to teach. Ah, this is family time, man. Do you feel that way at times when you're asked... When someone calls and says, can you help me? Or do you see those times when there's an opportunity to serve as an opportunity to represent Jesus in the life of others? How compassionate are you? Do you really care for those who are suffering or hurting? or lonely, or afraid, or unemployed? Do you care enough to, to come alongside and, and say, Brother, how can I help? Jesus doesn't wait. He doesn't even ask, and He doesn't wait to be asked. He sees the situation, and He steps right up. He says, Lady, woman, don't weep. Young man, I say to you, arise. You know, sometimes, especially I'm speaking to pastors today, but all of us who are prayerful people, sometimes we're more interested in seeing power when we pray. Sometimes we're more interested and we really pray hard so that what we're praying, God does it and everybody will know that I have power when I pray. I got to tell you from this passage, it says to me that compassion precedes power. Compassion precedes power. Do you truly love the person you're praying for? Do you truly care because God knows your heart when you're going to pray for someone? Compassion precedes power. When your heart is ready, God will use you. And He will hear your prayer. And He will do what He wants to do.
The other thing that I find in this passage that I find fascinating is that Jesus resurrects this young man, but he doesn't say to him, okay, now come and follow me. He said that to a number of people in the past. He said it to the fishermen. He said it to the rich young ruler. He said it to a few people, come and follow me. In this case, you know, his mother needs him more than Jesus needs him. He doesn't say, come and follow me. What he says is he gives him to his mother. He gives him to his mother. And I want to say to every son and every daughter here. Your first ministry is your mother and your father and your children. That's your first ministry. Spend time with your family. Lead them to the Lord. Sharing their needs, in their pains, in their sorrows, in their time. Because plenty of time will come where you can serve the Lord in so many other situations. He gives him back to his mother because she needed him to support her, to defend her, to protect her, and to provide for her. The other thing that is so important to me here in this story... is that I see here a picture... Of the reunification. The reunification of the dead and the living. A day will come when the trumpet will sound. And children will be returned to the parents. And parents to the children. And siblings to each other. And the dead will rise. And Christ will reign. And we will all be together with those whom we love. Just like it happened in this story to this son and this widow. It will be a promise unto us. That the faithful in Christ will rise. And we will all be one with each other again. And we have that certainty. Because Jesus promised. That he will raise the dead on the last day. And we know from these stories. That the power of Jesus to To bring the dead to life is real. That story is about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also the story of compassion. It is the story of how we ought to deal with one another. And love one another and support one another. And step in each other's needs. But it's about a Lord Jesus who holds the keys to life and death. And he will ultimately reunite families together. Reuniting those who are faithful. Those who have faith. Those who are his. Will be reunited. That's why I read that passage that I read at the beginning of the service. Which speaks about the second resurrection. And he speaks the truth about ultimately what is to happen. Jesus Christ will give life to the dead. They will rise in Christ. Take a look at at the screen. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Will by no means precede those who are asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Friends, death is not the end. Eternal life is the end. And that we have as a promise of Almighty God. Young men, rise. And he was given life again. The centurion was the centurion's servant was healed before he died. This young man was healed after he died and received life. Friends, trust in Jesus, give your life to Jesus, and be compassionate with those who are in need. I think that's the story, that's the lesson for today. Listen to it. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind. And love your neighbor as you yourself want to be loved. Stand with me.